This show is brought to you by Nice Mug. Nice Mug is the only mug made entirely out of ice. For more information, go to nicemug.com and enter the coupon code SAUNA for 10% off your entire purchase. Welcome to the inaugural Sauna Podcast, Sauna Talk. We are joined on the bench with Brian Peterson, acclaimed photographer. Brian has been honored nine times as the Minnesota Press Photographer of the Year. Peterson has covered major stories, including Russia before and after the fall of the Soviet Union, the Exxon Valdez oil spill, the 1987 and 1991 Minnesota Twins World Series victories, Olympic Games in Nagano, Japan, Salt Lake City, and Vancouver, just to name a few. Recently, Peterson has focused his camera on environmental issues, including a six-month study of pollution in the Minnesota River. The year-long feature called Voices for the Land explored the issues surrounding land use and urban sprawl in the state. On the bench, we discuss his latest book project, State of Wonders, a fabulous book illustrating the four corners of Minnesota during the four distinct seasons of the year. Hey, hey. Hola. Yeah, how, are you doing? Good. how are you, partner? How's it going? Good to see Glenn? you. Good yeah, to see welcome. You, welcome to Sauna Talk. Yeah. Hey, I'm Brad. Brad, Brian yeah. Peterson. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Brad lives a couple doors down. Nice. And in the it was meant to be department has um, volunteered to set up. Awesome. And, uh, here, so here you can make yourself at home and throw your shit over. Are here we going to actually books. do this in the sauna? Or? Yeah, we are. are we actually have a mic in the sauna. Awesome. And a microphone here. Cool. We were just doing some uh, volume controls, and the sound is good in the hot room. And I figure, like, you're going to want a cold, get a, like a cold whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Because I got the, here, how's Cold beer as in beer? Oh, yeah. oh, oh that yeah, too. Yeah. I got, and any time you want a beer, uh, Brad is doubling as gotcha. the bartender tonight. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and he'll be, uh, he'll be able, right by his right knee. You want a beer now or you want to wait till after uh, round one? Well, we'll wait till after round yeah, one. That's yeah, that's what I think I'll You want to, uh... So tell me the routine. We'll go in and start in there? Or? Well, we can, I think we're starting now, right? I'm recording okay. now. All right. Yeah. So this is Sauna Talk. All right. And the great thing, as as you and I think are kindred spirits about, as it comes to sauna, is there are very few rules. Exactly. And in spirit of that, uh, we're just talking. All right. So, you know, I, I'd like to get three rounds in tonight. All right. I'm good. Yeah. I got all night, so. <laughs> <laughs> and Brad's not on the clock, our sauna good. engineer. So good. Like, let's go. And there's no video, so I can go naked, right? I can, that's I right. Can do, it's I can all, do. that's right. You can go authentic, right? Well, I got to tell you, there, there was a, well, maybe I'll wait till we get into no, the No, no, talk but, now. It's all One good. of my first sauna stories for the newspaper uh, yeah. was uh, for a project I was doing called Witness. And it was basically uh, an excuse to travel around the state and just do kind of cool feature stories. Yeah. And I was looking for a traditional sauna up up uh, in Finland, or not Finland, but in um, um, anywhere on the range, Tower. And I was looking, I was just combing for somebody, <laughs> an old timer that was still doing the sauna. Uh-huh. I got this email from this woman. Oh, you got to talk to Arvo Huta. He's got the traditional old sauna. He does it still every Saturday night. He's out there taking his sauna. So he didn't have a... He didn't have email or anything, so I had to call him on the phone. He didn't even have a voice message, so I had to call his daughter, who would relay the message. Anyway, he 
he was all good about the story. Yeah, come on up. And so when I got there, he had the thing all fired up, and we had to go in the house and chat a little bit first. And pulled out all the old pictures of the old homestead with uh, the sawn was the first thing they built, of course. And uh, talked about his grandpa and his dad and how they built the thing, and his sisters and brothers were born in the sauna. And, uh, and, uh, so spent the better part of the day with the guy just talking about the sauna, looking at the tongue or the, the construction on it, you know, the, the old finished construction. And so it's time for the picture and Arvo goes in the changing room, strips right down. He says, no, you want me to be naked? And I said, well, Arvo, I said, well, whatever you do is what I want. You know, I'm with the newspaper, we got to do everything real. So. Well, okay, I, I take my saunas naked. So he climbs, gets in the sauna, gets up on the top bench, and he's got his his legs spread about as wide as they could be. <laughs> I'm thinking at least he could be a little modest here, and I'm thinking, how am I going to shoot a picture of this guy? <laughs> I probably shot 200 pictures, and there's one frame where the bucket or the ladle is covering it, you know, as he's throwing water up on the rocks, it's covering the crotch area. It was like, perfect. <laughs> so that was the one. That was the one. Yeah, it took 200 to find one. Exactly. Oh, I know. I, it's, you know, the nudity in the sauna thing is a, is a funny phenomenon, well, you know? Well, in the winter in particular, nothing worse than going outside with wet shorts. Oh, You totally. know, that's what I hate. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And the Finns make a lot of fun of us Americans. There's a couple hooks right there. Okay. You can throw right, your cool, stuff. Cool. You know, and, and rightfully so. You know, I mean, if you, it's all about empathy. I yeah. mean, you think about, hopefully the Finns have empathy toward the American culture of nudity and, you know, respect that when they're here, they're not walking around naked. Exactly. And just like us, I mean, you know, when we go over and we sauna in, in Finland uh, or Germany, you yeah. know, I know the Germans yeah. will nude up all the time and free. You know, uh, hopefully we lose our, um, you know, our tradition of always being covered up. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, and then if you're taking them with women, of course, you got to be careful. But Yeah, no doubt, <laughs> no doubt. But I actually wrote down some questions all for right. you. All right. And uh, I've taken sauna talk, um, I won't say seriously, because that's not what I want sauna yeah. talk to be, but yeah. I take it... Uh, I mean, I'm really into it. I think yeah. it's going to be fun. I just, uh, you know, I took a couple of pictures of Brad, the What sound a better engineer. place to do it. Yeah. On the bench, you know. That's it. That's right. And we can do the <clears> long <throat> form. You know, so much in our society is send me a text, shoot me yeah. an email. Oh, I'm busy, God. you Way know. Way too much of that right now. Yeah. So we can, uh, we can just talk, you know, freely and let some of this. And hey, you know what? If nobody listens, at least you and I had a good time talking. Exactly. To each other. Like you said, it's just an excuse to get on the bench. Right on, right on. <clears throat> and uh, so what we'll do is, uh, what we're doing now is we're just prepping for a hot room round because I can tell Brad is. Is she ready? What's oh, happening yeah. there? I'd say we're about one fifty and climbing. Okay. And uh, I can tell uh, I can tell Brad that Brian is a uh, is a is a not a novice to sauna. He's uh, a very well experienced sauna taker because. Anybody that takes a lot of saunas, they get right into it. They come exactly. over, and there's a little chitter-chatter like we're doing right now, yeah. but he's, like, ready to go. Exactly. And that's I've what... had a long day, man. I need, <laughs> to... <laughs> I need to sweat. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to step in. All right. the wood. I mean, uh, what's your opinion, Brian? We'll just start right yeah. in. Uh, you know, this isn't on my question for you, but uh, 
Can you tell the difference between a sauna heated with a wood stove versus one heated, you know, electric? Oh, oh, for sure. As a matter of fact, I kind of started with electric, you know, cheap hotels and mm -hmm. uh, you know, electric grill there and everybody's throwing water on them. It's, it's like sitting in front of an electric coil. It's just harsh, yeah. I, yeah. you know, and you can't get them. I don't think you can get it as hot. Well, without really feeling harsh and the, the rock and the wood is just so smooth and so much easier to tolerate higher temperatures, I think. I couldn't agree more. I and think. of course the aroma, I mean, that's, I mean, gosh, that's yeah. half of it, just the smells yeah. and the yeah. sounds. I, right. I've had this discussion, you know, I don't know, with other folks, and, you know, I think that if you were blindfolded and were brought into a sauna hot room and, you know, sat down, yep. uh, I, I would say that, you know, oh, I, I can, I'm pretty I confident. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you mentioned about the soft heat. Yeah. And um, I think that's what we're experiencing right now. You can hear the clicking. Yeah. And that clicking sound uh, is the Kuma stove, the wood burning stove, rising, you know, expanding, the metal expanding, yep. because I just tossed one more log on. Yeah. And it's not hot in here. I would no. say it's only 140 right yeah. now. Yeah. But uh, um, I generally like to come in when it's 170 or whatever, but okay. this is no big deal because I can guarantee you in about five to 10 minutes it will be up the temp. Yeah. Just by tossing that one log on and pulling the coals forward. Yep. Right? Yeah. Now, do you have a Kuma? <clears throat> no, I've got a Nippa. A Nippa. And if I would have known about Kuma when I built my son, I would have definitely. I mean, he's only half an hour from my cabin where I have my wood, wood son. Now, isn't that just an example of how low-key low and under-marketed? Yeah. Oh, it's true. And I did a lot of research. I spent five years just looking at saunas, you know, studying about how to build mine, looking for plans, looking at stoves. I knew immediately that I, you know, I had, I had rocks probably 10 years before I had a sauna. I had collected a bucket of rocks that I was going to use. On my you sauna. are not the first guy <laughs> to do that. And I did that as well. I think there's something kind of profound to do that. Yeah. You collect your yeah. rocks first, right? You know, I, I grew up in Duluth, so of course Brighton Beach is like the prime spot yeah. for rocks. Oh. I think they're. I think they're actually frowning on people going up there collecting them now because everybody's gone. Up there yeah, doing, yeah. I know that's a hard thing to uh, to stop in yeah. a way. Yeah. I mean, but those are the best sauna rocks, they are. aren't they? Yeah. They're well. These rocks right here are probably those are Lake Superior rocks. Yeah. yeah. And and those I would have to say maybe were taken from that same that yeah. same beach. Yeah. Um, I think <clears throat> in collecting sauna rocks is one of these wonderful little yeah. experiences you can do yeah. you know i have kind of a as my daughters will tell you kind of a fetish with perfectly round rocks uh -huh. i have a perfectly round rock collection <laughs> many of them are in my stove i've yeah. added them to the stove yeah but, uh, whenever we're on any of the lake superior beaches or shores it's, we're always when you see one for those perfectly round rocks do you have you changed out your sauna rocks uh no i haven't yeah uh I think that's something that they say you can. Uh, someone told me, um, I think up on Lake Vermilion, where our cabin is, yeah. where you know, sauna is part of the DNA up there. Right. Uh, I've heard through an old salty sauna veteran up there who says you should trade out your sauna rocks every 10 years or so. 
Like you can wear out your sauna rocks. Really? So go figure. I've always heard that if you don't use the right rocks, you can, you know, they can crack and yes. explode on you in yeah. the sauna. So you got to be careful what you use. Oh yeah, yeah. None yeah of I've those... never heard. I kind of, I kind of like mine seasoned, so I don't know. Oh. Mine are about. Huh? I'm trying to think now. Mine are going on 15 years old, so. Yeah, yeah. As well, are mine. Longer as than that, from what I picked. Yeah. 15 yeah. years in the sauna. Yeah. Well, for anybody listening, if there is anyone listening to this, this is our inaugural sauna talk session, and. What I plan to do is have, um, have uh, like three, maybe four of these episodes ready to launch yeah. and launch them all at once. And uh, I'm just so honored that you're here tonight uh, well, to be, so. yeah, to be part of Sound Talk. And <clears throat> I think for the folks listening, it'd be great if you um, wouldn't mind. I, I'll actually, I'll, I'll read um, for folks a, a little bit about um, yourself, you know, okay. and, and uh, I took this off your website and uh, I just think it's just so so fabulous about how you've been honored um uh, by both uh uh you know the baseball and and uh, uh you've been involved with um both the baseball and uh football hall of fame yeah. and uh and i need some glasses <laughs> you know well that's the nice thing about sauna too you gotta have you gotta have that low light yeah you know no when fluorescent I, lighting in a sauna you know when, when i build saunas i always make sure to put a dimmer yeah a oh, dimmer in the idea. hot room yeah and, and uh you know i love it soft and yeah. i always have the light super low because it's so interesting you go into a hot room and you feel like it's like completely dark yeah and then as you know within like a minute you can see everything yeah. your eyes adjust you know, so so back to yourself. You know, yeah. this is just so fascinating to me about um, you've been honored by both the Baseball and Football Hall of Fame and the National Press Photographers Association uh, for sports photography. And then recently, you know, your focus um, is more on environmental issues, including uh, the six-month study of the pollution in the Minnesota River and uh, your year-long feature, uh, Voices for the Land. You know, exploring issues surrounding land use and urban sprawl in our wonderful state of Minnesota. And, uh, you know, this, um, this the project was published as a weekly newspaper feature. And um, this book, Voices of the Land, which I'd love for you to talk a little yeah, bit about. Yeah, that was my first book. Yeah. And then uh, we'd really love to also, and I'm giving kind of a quick sketch and throwing a lot at you, but uh, is State of Wonders your second book? Yeah. And that's your your current project. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of weird. One of the you know I'm at the point with the project where I'm um, in the promotion phase. I've you know spent all of 2014 taking pictures and shooting it for the newspaper, and then last year took it on as a book project and became a, became a self publisher, hmm. um, which is a whole another ball of wax. I, yeah, um, it's a whole another job. It's a full time job. Yeah, and uh, not really digging the promotion part, but. Well, you know, my wife is also a photographer, and so I live this um, firsthand. And I, it could be argued that there's, you know, you could call it right brain, left brain, mm -hmm. or, you know, I just think artists in general don't enjoy promotion. Yeah, <laughs> way too much time at the computer. Uh, Whether it's responding to emails, taking orders, running uh, PR, or customer service, it's... Uh, Mm -hmm. It's a whole new ball of wax for me. But do you find it rewarding to DIY everything as you've done? Not only did you take all these fabulous photographs 
but you've published it and now you're in touch with your customer, you're meeting your customer, you're signing the books. I've seen you do this. Yeah. Tell us about that. No, that's that. the great part about it. Um, you know, for the newspaper, you know, our stories, you know, I've worked at the newspaper at the Star Tribune for almost 30 years and and we used to get, you know, an occasional letter once in a while when you did something that the readers appreciated, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't very often. And now with electronic communication, you know, people can shoot you an email real quick. And it's a much more give and take with the readers and, and you can get, you know, you can get both positive and negative feedback mm. almost immediately. Yeah. And, you know, certainly with this book project, um, you know, I immediately... When I took it on as a book project, I started a Facebook page and, and kind of built an audience uh, to just communicate about the pictures and about the techniques and let mm -hmm. people know that a book was coming. And, um, you know, I find that's one of the more rewarding things. Um, certainly the actual process of taking the pictures for the State of Wonders project was very solitary. I was often by myself and alone, and that's just kind of the way I work when I'm working in nature. Um, and the, the whole book publication process is kind of reconnecting with the people that I was actually taking the pictures uh, for. So. For sure, for sure. Was that something that you did by accident, this Facebook and social media and, and using that? Or did you know consciously going in that this was going to be an important way to promote and uh, as you self-publish? Well, I think as a self-publisher, it's the only way. And it's nice to be able to have those tools now. Um, when I decided to, initially I wanted the newspaper to take it on as a book and, uh, you know, so I could kind of avoid all the busy details of the business end of it. But um, when they decided not to do it and I took it on myself, that was one of the first things I did was to start a Facebook page and just to kind of gauge what the interest was going to be. This was before I had even committed to publishing the book. Mm -hmm. And it quickly drew a lot of attention, and um, I think before you know, before we even had it up six months, we had over two thousand um, followers, and that told me that there was interest in the book, and mm -hmm. so we pursued it um, from there. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, state of wonders. Let's start right at the beginning. <clears throat> the the nucleus, the the original uh, uh, element for this this book. It was a story in the newspaper. Well, we can back up even a little bit more. I mean, I started at the paper 30 years ago, and I worked 15 years as the sports photographer covering the Twins and the Vikings and the, the Wild and the North Stars, actually, back then. Um, kind of paid my dues as a sports shooter, really enjoyed. You know, that, that was back when we had some winning teams, so it was really quite fun. Um, and I spent kind of my middle years there doing documentary work, um, long-term projects. Um, and then in the last 10 years, I've focused primarily on and on environmental issues and some of the things that are threatening our state and that led me to state of wonders because a lot of the stuff that I was shooting and photographing were you know very ugly you know whether it was uh, contaminated groundwater or um, you know the changing ecosystem and the boundary waters it was really in some ways difficult things to photograph and really communicate the essence of the issues that we were talking about um, and I really had a desire to kind of answer the question, you know, why are we, why do we care? And the State of Wonders project came about as just a way to showcase what a wonderful state we have. And that, and it's so unique in that we have all four corners of our state are so different. Uh, there's no other state in the country that has the mm. four distinct biomes that intersect. Right. And I have to, I have to ask you, and, and the first thing is, how many times have you been asked, how did you decide what corner for what season? 
you know, it was, uh, we sat down at a conference table at the Star Tribune and really kind of, there were a couple obvious ones, you know, the, the Northeast, we could have done almost any season. Uh, the Northwest, none of us really knew much about the Northwest. Um, I went to Bemidji State, so I was a little more familiar with the bog country and some of the Aspen Parkland landscapes of the far Northwest. Mm. Um, but then we thought about, you know, the South, the Southeast uh, along the blufflands of the Mississippi River. You know, that was an obvious fall color choice. Um, and so, and then we thought, you know, the prairie of the Southwest was probably most best showcased in the summer. Mm. So. And we did, you know, we were going to start in the winter, and it was the winter of 2014-15, which was uh, our last real Minnesota winter. Um, well, you were blessed with that I was, in a way, weren't I you? Was. Because you you caught the northeast of Minnesota yeah. in its full glory. It was. Uh, I think I shot every picture for that portion of the project, either below zero or during a blizzard. Yes. Uh, it was quite a winter, as we all remember. It was a lot of snow and yeah. a lot of cold. So you're, you've been asked that question, I hope, a few times. Yeah, you know, I selfishly I'm thinking I could do four more books and I could just spin the <laughs> spin wheel and wheel. Go, go, go up to, you know, every quarter in an opposite season yeah. and, and do this project four more times. Mm -hmm. But you said something interesting there just a minute ago about how this is a unique state and that the four corners do have majorly different topographies yes. and uh, things to offer yeah and i'm you know i grew up in duluth and my car generally goes from the twin cities up north into our cabin which is north of duluth and i you know even as a lifelong minnesotan never spent a whole lot of time in the other corners i've been out there on assignment and i've driven out to the southwest a little bit um but really never spent time just appreciating what we had there and it was you know this was one of those projects where i really got to spend the time and and really understand the history and the unique, uh, mm -hmm. different landscapes that we have. So you're in the conference room. <clears throat> you decide on the, the the scope of the project, the four corners, mm -hmm. the four seasons. Uh, and, and this, you still didn't know whether this was going to be a self-published -pub project at this time? Well, or? at this point, it was going to be four, uh, four sections in the Star Tribune travel section, uh, one each season. So we were going to go up to the Arrowhead region in the winter and publish that. Um, right after, you know, we were going to publish these as we were going along. We weren't going to just wait and put them all in the paper all at once. So we published four separate times each season. Um, and um, so, yeah, we, we started in the winter and uh, mm -hmm. plugged away. And, and I think each story ran in the newspaper as a, a double truck of photos, very well displayed in the mm -hmm. newspaper in the travel section um, each time that it ran. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, the, the first quarter, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh, we kind of referenced that, that. You chose winter, and it just probably was because that was the season that you were faced with when it was time to go, right? Yeah, we were starting this, you know, we started the planning in, in late 2014, so um, I don't think I shot my first pictures up north in the northeast until December, uh, late December, and then shot up in the Arrowhead region through the end of through the end of February, and that story ran in March. Um, right. So that, that was basically, you know, whatever we were going to do in the winter, we, we, we started with that, and it was fortunate that we had a real winter. And, and well, I, I got to say, it was so fantastic to hear from you, and uh, you're saying, you, you pulled me about, uh, I want a sauna, I want a sauna on Lake Superior, I wanted iconic, mm -hmm. 
Now, do you have one in mind? Yep, and I what, knew you were the guy, so I had to go to you for uh, you know, you know, you know most of the saunas in Minnesota, and it's uh, you know what I was looking for. You know, one of the things I wanted to do in the winter is just to show people enjoying the winter. You know, not just show these frozen landscapes that we're all you know famous for the frozen mm -hmm. tundra, but to really show people. I think in that one chapter in the book, the winter chapter in the Arrowhead has more people, more pictures of people enjoying the landscape than any of the others. Um, and that was deliberate in, in showing people, particularly from outside of Minnesota, you know, that we, we don't just all hole up in our cabins in the winter and sit by the fire. We get out and enjoy it. So. Yeah. And I got I to gotta say, for those that don't have the book yet, uh, State of Wonders, uh, <clears throat> the Northeast uh, winter section Full of fantastic photos, uh, like you say, Brian. I mean, really capturing what winter in Minnesota mm -hmm. is, the outdoors. And there are three photos that speak to sauna. Mm -hmm. Three of them. I'm just so overjoyed with yeah. that. Yeah, you know what? Uh, one of them was planned. One and two were somewhat by accident. Um, the one of of uh, of you and uh, and Tom and Tom. Yeah, uh, up at Tom's cabin on Lake Superior was one that uh, we kind of planned ahead of time and we kind of looked at the weather and, and kind of coordinated our schedules, figured out a time when we could all get up there. And, you know, it turned out to be just a perfect evening, uh, calm, and we had a beautiful sunset. And I don't remember the temperature, but it was, it was, it was chilly. chilly. For sure. And uh, that photo is uh, actually, uh, for those that, <clears throat> that know the book, uh, you'll, you'll see the photo. It's, it's me actually dumping water over my head. and. Uh, the owner of the sauna, Tom, Tom Orlando, this sauna is five miles south of Two Harbors, right on the shore, right on the shore of Lake Superior. Uh, he's standing. He's on the edge of the abyss. Yeah. The, uh, the edge of Lake Superior in the winter, which is quite an immense uh, experience to, if, you, if you ever get a chance. It's, it's amazing. And, and what is amazing is it's so freaking cold all winter long, and that lake rarely freezes. Mm -hmm. But that photo is so special because I think, what is it, like once every, well, you know, you grew up in Yeah, the, how, it, how it's often? not very often. And even when it freezes, it often can blow out, you know, in, in uh -huh. a day. You know, yeah. you get a good wind out of the northwest and it can blow that ice across to Wisconsin. So, uh -huh. you know, on any given day, I mean, it's almost like magic. I've been up there times where you'd swear it's been frozen in and it's five feet thick. And then the next yeah. day it's gone. And it's like, well, there's no evidence of it anywhere. It's like it just blew across, you know. Yeah, so, it blows out and dissipates. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for those into photography, explain that that photo in in brief fashion. Uh, I, I I mean, I can I, from a subject standpoint because yeah. you know you were like, hey, go in the sauna, and then when you come out of the sauna, I'll be standing over here. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it was all of it was a very natural shoot. Yeah, and I think I you know that's my goal. I mean, as a journalist, that's kind of how I do all my shooting. Is you know, I'm not my intent is not to set up an unreal situation, but to record reality and. You know, the planning is more involved in either the weather, making sure that the weather is going to cooperate. Um, and then, you know, the gift was that beautiful sunset we had, you know, um, and just lit up that sky with this purple mm. and pinks. And, um, you know, that's certainly something you can't plan. But, yeah. you know, for a lot of the pictures in the book, you know, my main goal was to capture, you know, whatever landscape it was to kind of capture it as a landscape. So mm. even though it was a picture of you and Tom at Tom's sauna, it was as much about a picture of Lake Superior, too. But somebody actually on the shores in the middle of winter, you know, in, in their shorts, you know, steaming, yeah. 
Um, yeah, so. yeah, it's and and of course the photo means a lot to me because I'm in it and you know not like it's an ego play but you know I can really feel it mm -hmm. and I and I hope those that others uh, the others that see that photo as many of the photos are in the book is uh, you can stare at the photo and things you discover things like a, a discovery for me even though I was in there and all that is is the steam coming out of the changing room just billowing out yeah. and. Uh, yeah, let's talk about the other two photos uh, from the from the winter sure. that that have sound. Now, the the one of the woman jumping into the lake. Mm -hmm. I mean, you caught that, and it's like perfect moment. Yep. Now that's another one that was planned, uh, and it actually um, didn't come about the first couple times I plan I wanted to shoot there. I knew that the, this was at the uh, National Forest Lodge near Isabella. It's a kind of a cross country ski slash snowshoeing resort. Mm really tucked in the middle of the Superior National Forest. Yeah, no, it's, and it's obviously open year-round. It's open year-round. Well, the, the actual, you know, I'm not, I'm pretty sure it's open year-round, but they really build themselves as a kind of a cross-country ski and winter resort. Did you stay there? That no, night? but I have, you know, I do a lot of my initial research on the web, and I just start searching the image bank in Google, mm -hmm. and I came uh -huh. across a picture of somebody going through a four-by-four-foot hole into a lake in northern Minnesota, and then immediately my mind starts ticking. I want to know where that is yeah. and, and what the what the story is, and I tracked it back to the to the National Forest Lodge, and uh, talked to the, the you know got a hold of the owners and tried to coordinate a shoot, and, and it was kind of at the end of the season. And um, we weren't able to get, actually get that in that first season, and we're able to come back to it the next year. Mm. And uh, another another one where I was there, I, I met the owners. I was up there when the, the ice was not good enough to be used, um, but I could see the landscape. I could see which way the sun set and rose. Nice. I could tell kind of I could kind of plan my picture. And then it was just a matter of waiting for the weather to cooperate and for the ice to freeze and to have a good group of people up there. This was yeah. a, this was a group. Uh, called the Minnesota Rovers that kind of go all over the state and plan adventure activities. And they had a whole, about 30 snow, uh, snowshoers and cross-country skiers there that weekend. Um, and so what you don't see behind me in that picture is there's probably 15 other people in the sauna, each taking their turn running out to the lake and taking that, that dive into uh, the frozen lake. Um, and this woman, uh, who was from Korea, uh, Number one, she was very hesitant early on to even think about doing this. And she said, but, you know, back in her own country, nobody will believe this. If I do this, you have to take a picture of me so I can send it back to my mother in Korea. And she ended up taking about nine dips into the lake. Nine that, dips yeah, in the lake. She just couldn't get enough of it, and it was just a thrill for her. Well, okay, so that <clears throat> meant nine sauna rounds. Nine sauna rounds, yep. Now, I consider myself, I mean, I sauna three times. How often do you sauna yourself? Not enough. You know, I don't have a sauna at home, so, you know, as much as I'd love to do one, at least once a week, um, you know, when I'm at the cabin, I'll do one every other night. Yeah. In the summer, sometimes every night. It just yeah. depends. Okay. Okay. So, all right. So, I sauna three times a week. I have for 20, 25 years, I know, longer, three, you know, and, uh, and so I'm not afraid of cold water. You no. know, the idea of jumping through a hole in the ice to yeah. me is... Great therapy. Yeah. Like tonight, it's 36 degrees, maybe yeah. it's 34. I saw snow coming yeah. down. And I'm just so pleased to report that the uh, the hose, the garden hose, is functional. Yeah. I made sure. I kept it running. <laughs> and yeah. uh, that's perfect temp for me, for yeah. an ice-cold shower. Yeah. So for this woman from Korea to jump in nine times, 
That's a little exceptional to me. Well, you know, it's funny because I learned something at this one. You know, I, I've done it a few times, more than a few times. I've gone into a lake in the middle of winter. But for me, the worst thing is always your feet. You know, yes. either your feet are freezing to the ice and they're sticking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they had, you know, a whole boatload of uh, water shoes that everybody wore. And that was great. You could stand yeah. around on the ice and yeah. not have your feet stick. It made all the difference in the world. It does. And I just interject on that. And yeah. we'll, we'll experience this when we do our cool down. Yeah. Um, I, I brought a bunch of slate rock from Lake Vermilion. Okay. Part of the whole vibe in, back here in my Minneapolis sauna is to recreate what I love and, yeah. and appreciate is Lake Vermilion and our island cabin. So anything I can bring home uh, to help me remember that, that magical place yeah. is, is kind of the backyard escape theme of, of here. So I have a bunch of vermilion slate rock and I have this wonderful little patio for between rounds. And to your point, my feet like would freeze. <laughs> so so I've, I've converted it and I have a, a cedar deck out okay. there. And uh, yeah, so and I have old sauna benches that you walk across and you stand and you can take a shower. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the water sheds off these old sauna benches that are sitting on the vermilion slate rock. Yeah. And uh, it's all, you're right, it's all the difference in the world. And I have always have, and for those that have saunas, um, uh, just one bit of advice, and most of you probably do this already, is uh, have some old sandals tucked underneath yep. for guests. Good tip. Yeah. You do that up north? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I don't do it so much in the summer, but whenever right. whenever uh, the, the cold is an issue. You know, and it's funny because people think, oh, my God, you know, how cold can that water be? But if it's liquid, it can only be so cold. You know, That's it's right. Not, you know, the air is often much colder than the water is. Yeah. And so when you go in, you know, especially your second or third round, often it feels warmer in there than it does when you get out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and then I love that magical moment where your body equalizes. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you can just stand there. Yeah. yeah. And you just feel... Especially really... if there's a light snowfall. Oh, just the feel tingling! Every, yeah, every every snowflake. No doubt, no doubt. Okay, so then the uh, is that is that it on the Korean woman jumping through the hole? Yeah. Ice? So you know, as you look at that picture, there's some things that went into the planning. Number one was that there, you'll notice there's a lantern there right by the hole, and I needed to wait till it was dark enough for that lantern to show up. As so, there's a there's kind of a magic hour there, maybe a half hour of light where mm -hmm. it's not. You know, if I waited another half hour, it would have been completely pitch black, and mm. you wouldn't have seen the other side of the lake. So just some photography tech information, you know, planning your shoots for optimum light is often, you know, half of the battle as far as, yeah. and a lot of my pictures in the book are like that, where, you know, I needed to know when exactly, and you're the, the shot of you and Tom at yours also, there was probably a half hour window there where the light was just perfect. And you're racing that sometimes, yeah, aren't yeah, you? If, yeah. you're, if you're, if it starts to get in front of you yeah. and you're not prepped, yeah. it's probably an anxious feeling. Well, and up at National Forest Lodge, you know, they came in from a day of skiing. They were all sitting around having a few beers. <laughs> yeah, you're like, and this I'm along. like, oh my God, I gotta, you know, we gotta get somebody out there. And, and they gradually started trickling out to the sauna and I started shooting. I probably shot four or five hundred pictures of different people going in that okay. day. Okay. And there's some really wonderful pictures. There's a great picture of a guy on, uh, on cross-country skis, he had just skied across the lake and he's got his point-and-shoot camera out and somebody's coming out of that hole. Yeah. It's just this mysterious kind of yeah. unworldly kind of feel, you know. One right. guy's completely right. bundled up and frosted on his face from the skiing and the other person's coming out of the lake. Oh, the sort of the, the hot, the cold, yeah, the yeah. Hot, two people dealing yeah. with this in different ways. So one quick thing about that magical moment where that magical half hour, you call mm -hmm. that, don't um, don't you find that in in Minnesota that magical hour or half hour is 
torturous for mosquitoes? It is. Not not in winter, of course. No, it is. And I, you know, the, the cover photo in particular, the picture of the headwaters of the Mississippi at night with the Milky Way uh, above it, uh, was shot at about 3.30 in the morning when the Milky Way was rising just right in the sky. And uh, I had one small LED light that lit up the trees. They'll notice that the trees are Yeah. Dark. Julie asked me about that. Yeah, it's just one tell, small. Tell us more about one. that LED light lighting up the trees. What do you set that in a in a off? You know, often what I'll use. You know, in this particular case, they use an LED light, which is just a small, maybe a little bit bigger than a pack of cards, that I set up and use for doing video interviews. Okay. And it has a resistor on it, so you can turn it up or down. You mm -hmm. can make it daylight or tungsten, warm it up as much as you want. So it's kind of handy in that regard. Um, I had it down as low as it would go. Uh, it was dark enough where I could, it didn't even help me focus at all. I had to use a flashlight to actually assist in my focus. Um, but it did manage to attract every mosquito in the uh, seven-county metro area. And that's 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. I, I kind of joke as you look at the billions of stars in that picture yeah. that, you know, these aren't really stars. They're mosquitoes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Do you have a technique just to, die, just to drill in on that? Yeah. Do you have... Uh, are you, Photography, especially nature photography, I'm sure is a huge test of patience. It is. And you come, you know, patience is one thing, but patience, when you're trying to swat off a, a, a million mosquitoes, must, must take you in a different place. It does. How do you, how do you overcome something like that? What do you do to um, not drive yourself crazy? Well, I do use a lot of bug spray. I, yeah. I make a habit of dousing my hats, whatever hat I'm wearing with, with uh, bug spray. Mm -hmm. um, I do use the thermocells, which seem to be seem to be really well just to keep bugs away from either your, you know, whatever it is you're photographing. If you're doing macro work on a small flower or something and just using a little thermocell. Um, Explain for people listening what a thermocell Yeah, a thermocell is, is just a small um, butane-fired a uh, little burner that you can either get small enough to clip on your belt, or they make some now that have lanterns that you can actually have a light, a light in them. Mm -hmm. um, but they uh, burn a little wick that um, just sends up a, a, an aroma that the mosquitoes and other biting flies don't mm -hmm. like. So it, it clears an area. It's not going to clear out a whole backyard for a barbecue, but you know, for one or two people, it can clear a six-foot area. Nice. You just keep it's it effective? Away. It's very effective. And where do you get a thermosite? Oh, you can get them anywhere. Target, mm -hmm. you know, Gannon Mountain, you know, yeah. any, any of the outdoor stores. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. You'll cool. notice, yeah, they almost everybody has them now because they're actually working and they're not just a gimmick and most people are finding them that they're really helpful. And, so. and as a photographer who's very patient and outdoors, uh, you, you, you would vouch yep. for this. Oh, product. for sure. So maybe this is a potential uh, sponsor there for the Sonatalk yeah. podcast. Yeah. Yeah, are you ready for some? You know, I'll be honest with you too. I don't get, uh, I don't nearly get attacked by bugs as my wife does, and I think it might be a male-female thing. They Could have be. hotter blood or something. But I, I think it's because I, I have a lot of hair on my skin. Well, I, I don't have a ton of hair, but I, I can sit right next to my wife, and she'll be getting swarmed, and I'll be just, I don't get it. <laughs> are you ready for some? So she gets the thermocell. <laughs> oh, that's good. So she's having good results with the thermocell. Yeah. Well. yeah. You ready for some water? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, the thermosel works really well for just sitting on the deck to, you know, at that magic hour having a glass of wine, too. Uh, it's, uh, well, I, uh, it just takes the pestering. You know, a lot of people get chased in at that time, you know, and they only last about a half hour. They're right. gone anyway. We so. call that the witching hour. Yeah. 
And and uh, our our young one up because our our boys are now sixteen and twenty years old, but yeah. uh, um, they they we've spent most of our summers. Those boys have spent yeah. most of their summers on Lake Vermilion, and, yeah. and our youngest uh, at the, when he was quite young, he would call it the watching hour. <laughs> the, you're watching, <laughs> watching out for them. <laughs> the watching hour of mosquitoes. Um, the third photo was summer. Third photo was actually my sauna and. Uh, that photo wasn't even planned for the book, but we had one of those, I think it was a 21-inch powder snowfall uh, in March of that year. It kind of put a stamp on the end of that winter season. Um, but we, we were up at the cabin, and you know, whenever we get a good snowfall like that, we can't resist you know, taking a few dives into the fresh snow. Yeah. Uh, you know, too often it's just hard and crusty, and, and you can't really enjoy it. But uh, yeah. we got a good sauna going that night, and I had to run back after a couple of quick... Uh, saunas and get the camera ready and, and shoot some pictures i i agree and i'll just interject that you know uh, and here here i am i'm going to try to convince you i'm going to circle this little little conversation around the idea yeah. of you having your own backyard bloomington sauna yeah. because one of the great things for me uh in winter in minneapolis is uh checking that forecast mm -hmm. three to six inches whatever whatever yeah. and then i'll be like I have the virtue and the good fortune of being able to work from home myself, yeah. you know, and uh, I'll see that snow starting to build on the deck outside, uh -huh. you know, early morning or whatever, and then it's building and building, and then at the right moment, I'll come out here in the backyard and fire that oh, thing yeah. up, and then usually either, well, most likely I'll be shoveling or hopefully jumping on the cross-country skis, which yeah. you can do right from the backyard and ski anywhere, you yeah. know, because it's... The you snow... can ski from here. You can. Oh yeah, you know, well, you know, everywhere you okay. can ski. Yeah, when it's, when it's snowing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like for like uh, right from here, um, I don't go to Lindale because yeah. that's a well-traveled yeah. road. But even 58th Street, they want to salt that one. I guess that's like a thorough okay. road, and so I'll just duck walk my skis yeah. across 58th, and I'll ski around Grass Lake, Perfect. almost like I'm up north. Yeah. You know, it's a little. It's a great little um, advantage to, you know, like to fight back. Yeah. Um, and then you're right about fresh snow. You, you come back and you uh, get in the sauna and you yeah. take around and just do the snow angel. Yeah. I don't know. What would you guess? The, what would you vote? The snow angel or the plunge through the hole? Well, I think ice? the plunge through the ice is much less uh, harrowing, actually. <laughs> I think the snow is, is torturous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I enjoy it, but it's like I'm not going to lay around and, and no and read a book. The, yeah, it's, uh, and then the problem is getting up, of course, because if it's if it's at all deep, you yeah. put your hands down and you can't get any, you can't lift yeah. yourself back up out of the snow, so you sit and flail around. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But that's half the fun. Yeah, yeah, I like you know, quite honestly, in a good snowfall, I just like to sit on the bench and let the snow hit you. Yeah, you know, when you're good and hot, 180 yeah. degrees or better, and just and just absorb that. Mm -hmm. Every little drip that hits you, you know, every little snowflake, you can feel it. Yeah, I um, uh, this is a crazy little story, but uh, you know, uh, the little box sauna built by Molly and, yeah. and her partner and stuff, uh, and partner in crime. Yep. Uh, they they did that whole project and they had it out in Bloomington, and uh, I happened to be out there one day and. 
and Will Steger was joining in. She, she's a, a friend of Molly's. And, uh, you know, there's a guy who's been up in the North Pole and is no stranger to snow and yeah. all that. And it was, I, you know, in a sense, now that I, and I tell you the story, I wish I had a little camera because it was a priceless moment. Yeah. It was late in the winter and there wasn't a lot of snow around there. It was old snow. Yeah. There was like a snow plow worth of <laughs> snow in, in, in this parking lot. Yeah. And Will goes over to it between sauna rounds and rubs it all over his skin like, like some sort of Brillo pad. Well, it's, yeah, it's like lava soap. You know, yeah. it's got enough grit in it where you can really take a layer of skin yeah. off. You know? I figure he must know something. Yeah. So at the end of my next round, I went over and did the same. Yeah. And uh, yeah, a little nature's Brillo pad. Yeah. I call that. But uh, that's great. That's a okay. So I I think that's a wonderful little summary. And I just uh, at, you know paging through State of Wonders and you know loving sauna like we do. As I turn the page, you know the winter section means so much yeah. to me and. Seeing those three photos with sauna in them, it just... Uh, well, it, you know, I think for the novice or for the person that's never tried it in the winter, it's an intimidating thing, especially mm -hmm. when you look at it. Mm. You know, it's like, how crazy are those people to do that? But, you know, once you do it, you know, if you ever get the guts to do it once, I think you'll be addicted. Um, you know, I find that with people in general with saunas. It's, you know, why do I want to go in and sweat? You know, I sweat all day, whatever. And it's not really about the sweating. It's about everything else. I mean, that's probably the the least thing I like about it is the sweating. It's, it's that. There you go. That's what I like right there. So you're a busy man. <laughs> yeah, I'm busy. It's it's too bad because I've you know all my life at the paper I've really prided myself on, you know, keeping my free time free and, yeah. you know, not doing a lot of freelance work, but the book has really kind of taken, taken over as a second job. I'm hoping it'll slow down here after the first of the year. And, well, I, it's a beautiful gift. Yeah. Uh, and, and how are sales? How are you sales doing? are doing really well. Yeah. Yeah. And because it's an independent project, we really want to get it out into the independent bookstores first. Um, so you're not going to find it in Barnes and Noble. Um, there is somebody reselling it on Amazon for double the price, and you know if you if you have if you're tempted to go there, you know just go to stateofwonders.com and you can get it you can get it there for much cheaper. So, nice, nice. nice. Um, but I like the idea of you know keeping this independent, um, at least maybe for the first year. Yeah. And letting the independent bookstores have a shot at it. So. Well, I uh, <clears throat> I I just think it's a great gift because the work you've done to capture. Minnesota in its natural form, the nature, you know, is a priceless thing. And it appeals to people in so many different ways, in so many different areas. It's a, it's a tremendous coffee table book for those that live in Minnesota, those that have relatives that move from Minnesota or to Minnesota. It's, and no one will ever take that away from you. The, work, the hard work you've done and all of this stuff, it's like, yeah, you know, like life changes right mm -hmm. and the level of your work and commitment to this thing is going to change it's not going to ever go to autopilot but i think it's great you're applying all the hard work on it right now well and i'm really you know i'm thankful that i was able to do the majority of the work for the star tribune i mean this is kind of a love letter to the state of minnesota for me i mean i've lived here all my life except for one year in colorado and you know this is this is the place i want to live and, and when people ask me you know why do you want to live there I can give them a copy of the book and say, yeah. take this home and yeah. take a look at it. That's your calling card. Exactly. Well done. Yeah.
Does this feel like the Nippa? Yeah, it's very close. Although my um, my stove is not in. I mean, the the, the uh, feeder is in the changing room, mm -hmm. so I can feed it from out there. Mm -hmm. I miss some of the the aromas that you're getting in here with the smoke and and being able to see the flicker of the flame. I don't get that in mine, which I really. I think even Nippa now has one with the back a back window. So yeah. if you put it in through the changing oh. window, you can still see the flame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's very similar. Very. I would guess right now we're about 180, 185 maybe. I think a little less, maybe okay. 170. But you know what? This thermometer doesn't even work, to, yeah. be, to be honest with you. I, I look, it's, it doesn't say that. Well, you're like Arbo. I said, you know, Arbo yeah. had no thermometer yeah. found. I said, so Arbo, how hot is it here? Because I went in there. Right. I, I could barely breathe. Oh, I'm, really? I'm used to it. Yeah. And uh, he had like 10 buckets all lined up. Right. And he had all his firewood ready to go. And he yeah. goes, I don't know. I never check the temperature because I just go in there when it gets hot. <laughs> <laughs> that is so old school, isn't it? Is. And, you know, I guess you could you could analyze that in a few different ways. But here, you know, in this modern society, we need a gauge for everything. Oh, yeah, we need to know so we can brag. Yeah, yeah. He's like, that didn't matter to him. He, he's just in there taking the sauna. Well, I, yeah. And, and I, I hear you. I hear you on that. And I rarely look at the... Thermometer. It's just all about feel. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting with this. I mean, I have this exact stove uh, at the cabin mm -hmm. sauna, and you know your stove. And I'm yeah. sure that Nippa, you know it really well. Yeah. You know how much wood you need. You know when you, you know where to where to put the damper yeah. when. Yeah. And that's part of the feel, and I think the 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 great um, uh, attribute of a of a wood burning yeah. sauna is it's all feel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you get to even know the different woods and what burns hotter and what, you know, mm -hmm. if it's the middle of winter and 17 below, you know, you need to throw the oak in there. And if it's in the summer and you're not going for 200 degrees, you know, throw the popple in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe the birch. What What do you burn mainly up at the cabin zone? Well, we're north of Duluth, so there's not a lot of oak up there. I do bring some oak up um, or get it, you know, if I can find it in Duluth. There's a place in, actually in Superior, Wisconsin, that has a good, good oak and good mm -hmm. price for it. But... I would say 80% of it is maple, birch, and ash. Maple, birch, and ash, yeah. yep. The ash is a little messy, so um, I burn that more in the sauna and less in the fireplace in the cabin. But yeah. The mixture of those is a good mm -hmm. good mixture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I've our, heard the tamarack is unbelievably hot. Yes, it is. And uh, don't quote me on this, but I, I, think, I think tamarack is the species you can burn green, just as good okay, as, as aged. If it's either that one or the aspirin. Probably because it's so full of pitch that it probably yeah. is like, yeah, that could be like oil yeah. right in the, in the logs. Yeah, so. yeah, aspen would be more in the pine realm. Yep. It does need to be, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we yeah we're, we're mm -hmm. growing pines where we are. So we're, you know, I've got, mm -hmm. I was just up there bud capping all my white pines to make sure they make it through the winter. And, nice. What is bud capping? Um, it's just, a, you put basically as simple as a, a half of sheet of office paper and staple it to the tip yes. of the pine tree to keep the deer from chewing the, the leader off, right. which is kind of the main thing. They can strip almost everything off, but if the leader is still good in the spring, you're going to get a good sprout. Nice. And then you know, within a few years, it'll be out of reach and they won't be able to get it. Mm -hmm. and, and what species? Uh... White pine is primarily the candy for, for, for but I, I, you know, in a bad winter, I've seen them eat just anything, yep. but uh, white pine, they'll come in clip that down right now. That's yep. why we don't have many white pines mm -hmm. up in north of Duluth anymore is because the deer and the population was way up. Where they, mm -hmm. they really kept the little ones down. You know, the one thing I did learn during this 
winter of 2014 was that you know you get a heavy wet snow and what does it do it brings those boughs from the top down oh, to their reach so wow. not only are they standing a little higher but these trees are bending over for them wow you know it's kind of nature's way to feed them as well you know if yeah. you think about the cycle and what mm -hmm. what they need yep. you know they don't need the heavy deep snow but if they're going to get it at least it's bringing food down yeah, where for, they can reach for every action maybe there's an equal yeah. opposite reaction yep. yeah and i and i have seen that you're right and yep. they know that i mean yep. they're Genetically, uh, when they when they see yeah. and, and experience heavy thick snow, they know that they're right. They must have to hit it right away. Well, they do. Or think somebody else is going to get it before the yeah. Plow, another yeah. deer, or, or, or the wind will blow and sure. that tree will shoot right. straight up again. Yep. Yeah. So that would affect trees. I'm guessing maybe what ten to fifteen. Probably. Yeah. Because I usually keep bud capping them until I can't reach them anymore. Yeah. And and I had a couple that were taken down even at that height. So wow. you know probably ten feet is safe, but it's hard to bud cap them in the fall when they're yeah, yeah. Unless you're going to get a ladder out in each one. And um, did you um, did you do this with the white pines that are on your property? Or no, I planted them. Planted? Yep. Where, and where did you get them? Uh, just up in the area. They, yeah. They've done a lot of clear cutting up there, so yeah. you can just pick them right out of the ditches Which, mainly. Because they right. roll those ditches down every couple of years. And, where the power lines yeah, are. Yeah. So yep. you just go pluck them out of the ditch. They're easy to pull out. Yeah. And, what, and you know, um, a friend of mine, again, another one of these salty Lake Vermilion... Uh, seasoned veterans yeah. tells me it's best to transplant pines in the spring and uh, I think I got it right you know the the herbivores or no what is that all the, uh, you, you know you do the the, the conifers yeah. I like to do I like to do all of my tree planting in the fall mm -hmm. you know just before it freezes up partially mm -hmm. Because then that spring, whenever it thaws, you don't oh. have to be there right away, but it'll start getting the nutrients right, right off the bat. And unless you're living there, and can kind of monitor it. But, true, true. Um, yeah, I suppose the worst thing would be a spring transplant, and then you have a dry May or yeah. whatever, and yeah, that's too harsh on it. Yeah. Yeah. How are you feeling? I'm ready for a cool down. You want to do a little splash sure. or go? Sure. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm glad we dove right into the book. Yeah. I wanted to get that... Um, I don't think you get that with electric. No. No, you don't. And you know, they always had that stale urine smell. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the little kids at the hotel yeah. resist. <laughs> no matter how hard they flush that thing out afterwards, there's always that remnant. I, uh, I wrote a post on Sauna Times. It says, uh, taking a hotel sauna, here's some tips. And the tip starts with, as, you, as soon as you check in, when you're given your room key, you don't go to your room. You go you to go the, sauna, the sauna yeah. and you crank that yeah. sucker. And then you find a garbage can, and you fill that garbage can, packed full of yep. water, and you go in and you just douse yep. it. Just yeah, I would often it. call ahead and have them turn it on even before I get there. See, I don't do that. <laughs> and the reason why I don't do that is I want to be stealth. Okay. I want to run my own show. Know, yeah. yeah. Oh, there's a guy using the solvent tonight. He made me fire it up. Uh, now, I better go check on that jerk. Exactly. He pulled me away from the... Yeah, so I'm that... ready for a cool down, actually. All right, so um, here, I'll, I'll go first, and I'll, uh, I'll just... Okay. Just pave the way. Um, right. I'm gonna. Uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna walk outside. We're gonna okay. go straight out. I'm gonna turn the shower on. Gotcha. And I'll let you hit it first. Okay. And then, uh, yeah. Then we'll. So I get all that dirty water and then. Well, yeah. You know, <laughs> I can tell you've used a, a garbage shower before, but I it is fresh water, so. I actually, I actually use an old uh, watering can. That's kind of our shower at the cabin. Without you just fill it up. Fill it up and hang it from a wire and. Got a little tip, tip rope on it. Yeah. Uh, 
So Brian, does um, how does sauna contribute to your creative process? I need it. You know, it's well. I need the sauna, but I also need that up north. I need to get up there. I mean, if I go a month without getting up north, I just go. Yeah. And, and often, nine times out of ten, it involves a sauna. And oftentimes, when I'm up there by myself. Yeah. You know, and it's just you know, I find the solitude and the quiet as enjoyable as a sauna room packed with buddies having a couple beers. I know. I and I I wrote about that too. I say uh, you know, and I, I talk about a solo sauna. That's yep. why you see this clipboard. Yeah. Do you ever have a, a, a notepad in the changing room? No. Nah, right? No. Yeah. I And I also talk about untangling the wires in your head. Yeah. That's more, I mean, I don't, I don't use it to, you know, I don't, I tend to not use it to think a whole lot. I just sit in there and listen to the fire. And mine, mine has got two by six walls fully insulated and it's like a sound chamber. I mean, it's quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Is your is your changing room insulated with two by six? Yeah, it is too. I'm not yeah. sure why I did that. But. What what's the size of your structure up there? Uh the the sauna room. Well, the the, the total is uh, eight by twelve. That's mine. Um, well, that's what I which I, I, I was planning on an eight by eight room, but yeah. I didn't. You know, doing the math. You know, I wasn't a real math genius, so I didn't figure the two by six walls was going to take a foot off the wall. So it's <laughs> a seven by seven on the inside. I think it's a perfect hot room size. You know, I wish I could. I couldn't do an L. I had to do a back wall bench, yeah. and it's two levels. Mm -hmm. But I was hoping to have a, a L shape, just to get a couple more people in there. And it wasn't big enough for the L. Okay, okay. I have to tell you, I'm not just saying this to make yeah. you feel good, Brian. Yeah. But I've built saunas with yeah. L's. I built saunas without L's. Mm -hmm. I prefer them without the L's. Okay. As a matter of fact, Tom's in Maple Grove uh, is a. Well, I'll give you the exact interior dimensions. It's seven foot four, okay. you know, because it's on yep. that side, and it's six feet. So seven foot four okay. by six, and it had an L, and uh, we pulled it out because it's nice to have a little standing around space yeah, in the yeah. hot room. Yeah, maybe you're right. You know, I got and, some big buddies though, and when we get when yeah. we climb in there, yeah. Right. Nothing worse than rubbing shoulders with the true, true. sweaty so, guy next to you. Yeah, yeah. You can make you can get three comfortably yeah, up there yeah. at seven foot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you know, there's something good about, you know, keeping it to a minimum in there too, you know, and just mm -hmm. do it in, in uh Rollins, you know. That's it. That's yeah. that's another thing that three people, people don't understand. Cool it off and three people yeah. in the room. And then when it when it cycles around and the conversation mm -hmm. will change. Mm -hmm. And I think what's important is this what we're doing right now. Yeah. We're, we're standing in the changing room. Mm -hmm. Right, we got a cold beer in our hands, yep. and uh, our our skin is wet, yep. and uh, it's probably what about forty degrees out here. I don't know. And it feels like about seventy to me. Yeah, <laughs> is it? You think it's forty in here? Yeah, it's probably it might be maybe like forty. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I definitely I got some. So, how big is this room, Glenn? Uh, this is a small hot room. Yeah. It's six foot four by six foot four. Okay. <clears throat> and I wish that was a little bit bigger, but you know, I'm working with constraints. Yeah. Yeah. And and. Uh, you know, so we had to make it work. But I, I will, I will argue with anybody that a six by eight or a seven by seven is your optimal hot room size, and never more than a seven foot high ceiling. Yeah, I've got a seven foot ceiling, and then when you walk in, so my mine would be the opposite of this. My stove is over here. Mm -hmm. You walk in my stairs. I have two steps up to the top bench, and so you're. Three to, you know, three to four inches from the ceiling when you're on the top bench. Yes. So you're getting a full slap in the face when you when you throw the. I'll throw tell you a funny story about three to four inches from the ceiling. Is uh, I was part of the sweat summit out in San Fr okay. San Francisco a couple of years ago, and uh, Mikkel 
uh, Alan put this event together. He's the author of Sweat, this oh, yeah, yeah. iconic book. And I was fortunate enough to be invited, and we were out there, and there was a, a few uh, fins of of high sauna esteem that were invited and some came professionals over. Some, <laughs> some serious dudes, yeah. And, uh, and um, anyway, I, I have a photo, and I actually wrote about it on Sauna Times, where uh, um, Yarmo Letana, I believe is his last name, something like that, he, he is the CEO of the Finnish Sauna Society. Oh, my God. And I got to know him. Super guy. to aspire to. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's, it's, that'll be my next, uh, my next client. But anyway, I took a photo of him because we were just having lunch to shoot in the breeze, mm-hmm. and he says that uh, the, the, your upper bench should be such that you're, so that if you put two fists above your head, you will touch the ceiling. Okay. You know, I mean, these guys are precise. They, they, they got everything down, yeah. like, to the centimeter. Yeah. On what a proper sauna should be, size-wise. So they build the they build the benches before they put the ceiling on, and then. Well, they got it, they got it down. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, I think that they would be. I I don't know about you, but when I go into other saunas, I can't help but look at how it's built yeah. and how the bench. Oh, yeah. You know. As a builder myself. Exactly. I do that in people's bathrooms because yeah. I do a lot of molding work. It's right. Like, oh, how do they do their molding? Do they, <laughs> yeah. they cut the angle straight? Or... <laughs> I'm gonna no, ask it's you, true. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions. Okay. So, uh, and your answers don't need to be uh, rapid fire. Okay. You know, you can take your time. But uh, if you could have a uh, kick ass mobile sauna and bring it anywhere in the world and take a sauna, where would you choose? Oh, boy. Um, God, there's a lot of places. But, you know, I've always wanted to take a sauna in the Boundary Waters. You know, you're up there in the middle of summer. The flies are driving you nuts. And take a portable, you know, pontoon sauna out uh-huh. in the middle of a lake in the Boundary Waters and uh, just sit out there with a cold one and and do a sauna. That's probably That's probably what I would do. It would be sacrilege to bring a boat up there, but I'd have to figure out a way. Maybe, Maybe you could do a raft. Of some sort, that or maybe you could get a waiver for, there you go. for your <laughs> your dream, you <laughs> yeah. know, and pay and donate. That's like, the one thing that is missing from a good Boundary Waters experience is a sauna. But I, you do it when you can go when you come out if you hit the Ely yeah city sauna. But. Right on, right on. So if you could arrange a sauna session with one other person, anyone in the world, dead or alive, who would you choose? Oh God, Bob Dylan. And I'm not sure why. Well, you'd That'd have be to... be kind of sacrilege, partially because I'd want to have a picture of myself with Bob Dylan in a sauna. Well, it, I'd be shocked if Bob Dylan hasn't taken saunas. Well, he had to. Have. I mean, he's from the range, so he had to have taken a sauna at some point. And grown up with saunas. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe when we get the sauna talk podcast established, we could uh, arrange You know, one of, the pr- mo- one of the proudest moments of my sauna up at, at the lake was having the Stanley Cup rest some time on the bench up at the cabin in the summer. You had the Stanley Cup yeah. in the sauna. I have a picture of it sitting on the bench. That is, we have to hear that <laughs> and, story. You know, we had it. Um, my brother-in-law was the assistant GM of the Blackhawks. He's, you know, they've won it three times, and I haven't gotten up. He gets to, He's from Duluth, so he gets to have the cup for a day each time they win it. And the last two times, I haven't been able to get up there and enjoy it. So this time we half-joked that, you know, I'll, if you win it this year, we got to get this cup up to the cabin. We'll take it out on a pontoon ride. So sure enough, they win the cup. And I kind of held them to it, and they brought it up. And I'm kicking myself for not thinking of having the sauna heated up and ready to go, because we only had it up there for three hours, and then he had to bring it back to Duluth. 
but um, I would have died to have it on the bench with water in it and taking a dip in a ladle out of it. We had it sitting on the bench and got a good picture of it, but the sauna wasn't hot. So but there's, was, there's an iconic <clears throat> photograph of, uh, and I'm not sure which Finn uh, won the cup, but this uh, is an iconic photograph of um, the Stanley Cup in a sauna mm-hmm. in Finland. Mm-hmm. In they're pouring water out of the Stanley Cup onto oh, the rocks yeah. of the sun. See that would have, have been you seen classic. this one? I've seen quite a few. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if it was Sako Koivu. I wonder. Could have been. He played for Anaheim, didn't he? Uh, I I think so. Yeah. Either it could have been. For the Kings. Yeah. Maybe it was Sako Koivu. I'm not to look that one up. Well, we'll have to check. You know, it's it, pretty you know. crazy because I, you know, I always assumed that it was just kind of the toy that they hauled around, but this, it's the real cup. It's yeah. the, the one that we had was the one that's been hoisted above their heads after every Stanley Cup since 1964. Yeah. And then they take, you know, they add the rings and they take yeah. rings off it as the, as mm-hmm. the. Interesting. But this one is the one that's been traveling around since it, 64. It's a, it's a magical thing. Yeah. I, I've had the pleasure of being yeah. next to the cup yeah. in downtown Minneapolis at yeah. the Loon. Yeah. And um, and you'll remember that. Oh, you know? it's crazy. It's yeah. the, the most famous trophy yeah. in all sports. So, Brian, what phase of the sauna process do you most enjoy and why? Oh, man. I like everything. I like chopping wood. I like stoking up the firebox. Um I think I like, you know, the reason I do it is just because it, I feel so good when it's done. Yeah. You know, when you're done with a couple of good rounds, you just are relaxed yeah. and clean, and it just, it's, there's nothing like it. So tell us about your typical sauna routine. Oh, you know, I'm kind of partial about how I build the fire, so I usually do it, even when I'm at the cabin, I don't usually let anybody else build the fire, so... I usually, uh, you know, we we kind of get a consensus from the family and whoever's there, friends, when we want to do it. We kind of talk about it early in the morning, like, when are we going to do the sauna today? And and then I kind of plan my day around that and make sure that I'm not barbecuing when I should be saunaing or whatever. Um, but like I said earlier, we do it oftentimes after dinner and maybe that 45 minutes to an hour after sunset. And when there's still just a little bit of sun or a little bit of ambient light in the sky, Stars are starting to come out. Um, mosquitoes aren't too bad yet. Um, and we, you know, take that late evening sauna or even the midnight sauna is good with a full moon or <clears throat> so the northern late, lights. The la- yes, the late evening sauna. So you go in, hot room. Go in, do the hot room. We'll do, I'll do always three rounds. Uh, my daughters will do one or two, uh, depending on who's with me. Um, about 10, 15 minutes in the hot room. Yeah, and we've got, my sauna is about um, maybe 100 yards from the lake. So we have a runway that I've built through the through the reeds that bring you out to the lake. So it's a little bit of a run. So it's always a mad dash, and there's pine trees all over. So inevitably, you're dodging pine cones, and, and uh, it's like landmines on the way to the, to the lake. Do you jump in uh, three times? Uh, we'll go in three times, and we usually linger. We've got a raft that we'll either swim out to and just then lay on the raft and just absorb, you know, cool down. Uh, it's a fairly shallow lake, so we got to swim out to it. So mm-hmm. um, it's not. I wish I had a situation where I could jump right in the deep water because, uh, you know, you got to trudge out there to get out over your head. So. Do you like summer saunas, <laughs> winter saunas, fall saunas? God, what? I like them every all the. T- I don't like windy saunas. I don't like coming out of the room and having a stiff breeze in your face because you just cooled off too fast, especially if you got a wet swimming suit on. Um, but any time when it's calm, it can be middle of winter. The quieter and the calmer, the better. Yeah. 
And if, and, and not, you know, not when it's, we generally don't sauna when it's 100 degrees and humid outside. You know, then you're already sweating and it's, it's not that fun. You don't cool down, so. Yeah, <clears throat> there's a thing about uh, the seasonality living in Minnesota yeah. about sauna. And uh, my friend Tom calls it the, it, okay, so as, as you imagine the summer, like you're talking about, mm-hmm. and in Minnesota you get the stretch where it's, you know, well above 80 for this great amount of time yeah. and we milk it and we yeah. love it and then it turns into August and the kids go back to school yeah. and the summer you get the the lingering September this beautiful yeah. weather weather and then somewhere as September kind of gets later um you know you get like a high you get a low of like 40 at yeah. night yeah and you're like oh there's a nip in the air should yeah. I go fire <laughs> yeah. that thing up and then and then you yeah and then it's like oh my gosh the days are getting yeah. shorter and then you're like you're feeling this cold, and you oh, I'm gonna go fire yeah. up that. Well, sauna. you know I will say this: there is nothing better than a, a good sauna, after a super hot, humid day in the summer. <clears throat> you take it at the end of the day, and you get a cool. You know, and mostly anywhere north of Duluth, you're gonna get cool down at night. I mean, yeah. it's not gonna be 80 degrees at night, and you can sit in this greenhouse and mm. and cool down. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, wash all that sweat off. You know, yeah, and mosquito bites. Yeah, and push that. Yeah, push yeah. that venom out of your mosquito bites. So. Yeah, yeah, and you feel clean, relaxed. You yep. sit on the porch. Yep. Yeah, yep. summer saunas are yep. are wonderful. So, um, <clears throat> so Brian, what one thing about sauna do you think is misunderstood uh, that you'd like others to to know? I mean, as a as a sauna veteran, like you know, you we've are. got some folks that come to the cabin that are, you know, the anti-sauna folks. You know, I'm not going to, I sweat all day at work. I don't want to go sweat. And they kind of stick their heels in, you know, they don't, they never do it. And, uh, you know, it's not about the sweating. It's about the cleanliness and the, you know, it's so much more than just sitting on a bench and getting hot and sweating. You know, people also think like they can't breathe, you know, like, oh, if I go in there. And that's typical of an electric sauna, I think. You know, those typical hotel saunas that are, you know, way too hot, and you're basically sitting over a a hot heating coil. You know, you get a good hot wood uh, rock sauna and traditional finished sauna, and it's, you know, it's, you can breathe, you know, and even at 180 degrees, it's not that, it doesn't feel that hot, you know. That's probably the first thing I noticed when I came here to sauna, because I was was that same way. Yep. I was never the sauna guy. Yeah. Because I just remember hotel saunas, and I hate that feeling of not being able to breathe. I've never felt that here. And people think it's, you know, it must stink like sweat in there, you know, like an old hockey bag or something, but it doesn't, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not stinky and it's not sweaty. So as a father of a Bantam Devil <laughs> hockey player, I know what a smelly Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, Brian, this has just been a great pleasure to have you, uh, for Sauna Talk. Well, I enjoyed um, it. Thanks for inviting me, Glenn. Yep. The Sauna Times podcast. So, uh, so Brian, where, um, where can people get your latest masterpiece, the State of Wonders book? Um, you can go online. It's probably the easiest place to get it right now is um, stateofwonders.com. You can order the book there. You can order prints there. Um, there are some local independent bookstores that are carrying it. Uh, Majors and Quinn will actually be at Majors and Quinn this Saturday for a book signing. Kowalski's Market in their gift shop, they have it. Um, Macabre's in St. Paul. Um... Um, we're trying to get it to as many independent bookstores as we can. So if you've got a good one in your neighborhood and they don't have it, ask them about it and uh, maybe shoot me an email and let me know and, and we'll fill up their shelves. 
So. State of Wonders. Stateofwonders.com. <clears throat> the new photo coffee table book by Brian Peterson, photographer. Uh, it's a great brag book for all those people that either left Minnesota and regret it or, you know, <laughs> people that wonder why you live here. It's, it's, it's a great gift to kind of show off the state and the natural wonders that yeah. we have here. Wonderful, wonderful. What's next for you? What's, uh, you know, when things settle down a little bit with the book, Boy, anything? Uh, I'm hoping they settle down this spring because I'm heading to the Olympics next summer for the Rio Olympic Games for, will the, this, for the Star Tribune. Will That's this be nice. your third Olympics? Uh, this will be my sixth, actually. Oh, your yeah. sixth Olympics. I've done uh, two summer and three winter prior, so this will be my sixth. Wow. Should we ask Brian about this, about the Olympics? Oh yeah. That's the yeah, one thing well. I make sure is the hotel I stay in or the rooms that we have. We have you, you got to you got to sit you got to stay by the fins so that you got a sauna handy because oh, they make sure that they have. It won't be the best in Rio. I don't think <laughs> no. have a great sauna. So no. tell me about that. Have you uh, okay? You've been so Brian. You've been to six Olympics mm -hmm. and uh, how many Winter Olympics? Three. <clears throat> so when you go to these Olympics. Uh, um, did you, you know, in the in in these different uh, the winter one specifically? Yep. Did you find the fins to find a sauna? Or you know, you quite go? honestly, I'm working so much and so hard that there's not a lot of time to. So I can barely eat or sleep. Is Believe that it, right? really, it's it's it's, it's ridiculous. On. It's like uh, twenty hour days. Yeah. Just the logistics of getting around, mm -hmm. um, transportation and security is a nightmare. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, it's really hard to even describe, unless you've been there to. Kind of, you know, you know what it's like going through the airport. You know, and this would be like going through the airport for every venue that you, and then getting on buses and getting on transportation systems that are all secure, and and um, it's it's kind of crazy. It's not fun. It's it's really fun, but it's more work than anything I do at the paper. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah. when I when I'm done after, you know, what is it? It's 17 days. I sleep for two weeks. I have a friend who does a, has a production company. He keeps trying to get me to come to do the Olympics. Yeah, because I'm the sound guy as well. Yeah, and um, it's one of those things that I want to do once, yep. but I don't think I would do it on a regular basis just because it's just nonsense. Oh, it it's is, and you know, for me as a photographer, you know, you wanna you wanna cover. Well, we cover all the Minnesotans that are there, but we also want to cover the big events. So, you know, it's like okay. I've got uh, six hours. Should I go back and sleep, or should I run cover ping pong or, or, or floor? You know, something I've never covered before. So it's of course you, you you know you take the shuttle or the bus to and you, can you get into all? Yeah, the... you can you can get into any of the minor. You know, the big big ticket events are tough. Even if you have a pass, you have to get tickets. Oh, I see. And then you have to get assigned seating. And yeah. so as a photographer, it's it's like I said, you need to schmooze. You need to. Oh. That's part of you the need art. To grease huh? some palms and yeah, you know, it's, it's wow. really political. And depending on who's in, you know, wow. who's in what events, um, you know, certain countries get priority. So, care to tell the listeners a story uh, along those lines? Any story come to mind? Well, with, uh, actually, the last greasing palms. Or? Well, yeah, you know, it's um, the first person you need to get to know is the guy who handles the tickets for the U.S. Olympic team, mm -hmm. and uh, he's he's a good friend of mine. Nice. Make sure he gets prints after every Olympic Games. <laughs> do you, do you, you want others to hear that? Yeah, well, that's fine. They can do it too. Right. These guys uh, work hard too, so they deserve it. Yeah. Um, but one of the stories I like to tell, just to relate to what the logistics are like, um, and you you know you think of the Olympics as kind of a compact thing that happens, but they're really spread out all over the place. So for the Olympic Games in uh, in Vancouver, for example, 
it would be the equivalent of um, staying in a hotel in Lakeville, uh, walking three blocks to a light rail line in the middle of winter with all your winter gear and all your camera gear and all your computer gear, because once you leave your hotel, you have to be self-sufficient. You have to be able to work all day. So you walk three blocks to the light rail line, take it into downtown Minneapolis, uh, walk another half a mile to the secure Olympic Media Center, go through security, uh, walk a few blocks. This is with roller bags and, and all your hot gear on. Take a secure bus. Let's say you're going to cover the downhill event to Lutzen, Lutzen Mountain. You know, driving from Minneapolis on a bus all the way to Lutzen. You get to Lutzen, and then with your roller bag, you need to get on a chairlift without skis, ride to the, you know, take the chairlift up to the top of the hill. You need to be in position on the hill three hours before a downhill event starts. And you either need to ski into position or you need to use crampons and climb into position. And when you get there, it's starting to snow. And you can tell it's going to be snowing all day, but you got to still go up because you don't know for sure. So you, I usually cramp on up to position three hours ahead of time. You hunker down. You got your computer with you because you're probably transmitting from a snowbank on the hill. And then it gets delayed because it's snowing. And they'll delay it three to four hours every hour until they cancel it. <laughs> then you cramp on back down the hill, get on the bus, back to the cities, all through security again, and then maybe try to catch a hockey game that night after, you know, spending 12 hours. You know, so that's just an example of one particular day. You know, and you didn't even shoot a picture. <laughs> that was my one nightmare day. They don't, they're not all like that, but the logistics can be just... <clears throat> Tell me about um, food and nutrition and how you, when you're on the go like this yeah. and so vulnerable, yeah. so out of your zone, so out of your element, how do you sustain yourself? Well, here's the, the biggest irony is that McDonald's sponsors the Olympics. And so there's a McDonald's everywhere. And the majority of people that cover the Olympics, they're eating McDonald's for three weeks straight. It's ridiculous. That's all you have a choice of. You know, there's other things, but you they make with... it so convenient yeah. that, that you know, right. nine times out of ten, you're coming back to the hotel, you're going through the press center at two in the morning, and yeah. the McDonald's is open, and you're in there eating crap. Yeah. Right. But the thing about that crap, not to defend McDonald's, yeah. but it's, you know what you're getting, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it, it does its job. Yeah. And to me, I, and the reason why I was thinking that is when you when you explained that scenario as, as eloquently as you just did, I mean, I could imagine yeah. how... And I use the word vulnerable because yeah. you're just you're just extending all of these miles and, yeah. and thrown to the wolves. Yeah. And uh, I I was just thinking like you know whether you travel with any nutrition bars or anything. Like I do. You know you'll carry uh, um, nutrition bars a lot, but and I'll be sleeping on buses a lot. So that trip to Lutzen, you know, I'll sleep half the time if I can. And I'm a good sleeper, so I can I can crash. Do you, do you think there's a correlation there? I mean, you must spend a lot of time time with other photographers mm -hmm. that are in the trenches mm -hmm. like you are. Do you think photographers that, that do what you do are generally pretty hardy sleepers? Uh, I think you've got to learn to live without sleep, you know, at least for that time. You're running on adrenaline just like the athletes are, and you're watching history being made. So, I mean, at any given venue, it, it's just it's thrilling to be there. I mean, I'm, I'm not complaining, believe yeah. me. I would, you know, when they asked me to go to Rio, I was... You know, I'm I'm 57, I'm going on 57, and it's like my body starts to feel it. I know it's going to be hard work, harder than I've ever worked. And so I thought twice about 
let the young guys take over. But then I thought, no way, man. They're asking me to go. I'm going. <laughs> so I'll wait for them to stop asking yeah. me, put it that way. Well, one other thing to touch on, <clears throat> and we can edit this in yeah. in the middle of yeah. the... Um, I find it extremely interesting how you're, you you cut your teeth with the the sports in the Twin Cities, mm -hmm. covering the major sports teams, a lot of events. I can just imagine the different constraints that you're involved with in a stadium setup mm -hmm. with lighting. Mm -hmm. uh, but you could say that there's a consistent level of lighting, isn't mm -hmm. there? Yep. So you can, you know, when when you graduated your your craft away from, not away from sports, but mm -hmm. in addition to sports, you brought in, in the, the natural environment. Mm -hmm. That became a new focus for you, didn't it? Mm -hmm. Did that bring... A lot of new challenges with uh, with shooting, like with lighting, as an example. Um, not necessarily. I mean, I've done nature photography all my life, so it, you know, I did it more for fun and on my own time. You know, before the State of Wonders project, you know, the sports stuff really taught me how to capture a moment. And even with nature photography, it's all about moments. Whether it's you know the moment that you dump that water over your head. I mean, that's the moment I wanted, not the one where your cup's in your hand. But I wanted it on. You know. So it really, you know, sports photography is a great way to learn the craft of photography because it's all, for me, it's all about a moment and putting all the pieces together and when everything comes together in that one image and you get it, it's, you know, it's a rush like no other. What would you say, Brian, or what would you, uh, <clears throat> what kind of advice would you give to young, younger folks, maybe in college or thinking about photography as a, as a profession? I mean, is there some... You know, a couple of uh, thoughts of wisdom or direction or advice you can think of that you can share. Yeah, you know, it's a tough racket. Although, you know, when I started 35 years ago, everybody told me that you couldn't get a job in newspapers, you know, and they were dinosaurs back then. But, you know, they're still, Star Tribune's still here and I'm still working for them. So, but one of the issues is that everybody is a photographer now. I mean, everybody has a camera. Everybody's got a cell phone. And, you know, we don't, if you notice, in the newspaper, we don't really cover spot news anymore because we can't compete with everybody who's on the scene before us that has a cell phone and have video. And and, uh, and they're giving that photo for free. Right, paper, and they're giving they? it for free. And if they were smart, you know, we'd pay three, $400 for that if they'd ask for it, you know. So keep that in mind next time you're at that spot news event. <clears throat> but even the networks, you know, nine times out of 10, if it's a major international news event, it's somebody's cell phone video or still photos that are... are capturing those pictures. So, so could you say the lesson is not to become a photographer? Well, just, I think the lesson to is to make there? yourself, you know, whatever whatever uh, type of photography you want to do, just make yourself the best and figure out a way to differentiate yourself from, from the average um, because 99% of it is average. You know, just because they have a camera doesn't mean they can take a picture. So if you've got an interest and a passion for it, go for it. Um, I think, you know, communicating visually is probably... Uh, in demand more than it's ever been before. So um, somebody's paying for it. You just got to find that job. Excellent. Yeah. This show is brought to you by Sun Country Airlines. Sun Country is staffed by cheerful humans. And wherever Sun Country flies, they are competitive and keep the airfare honest. So whether I'm checking out Temescal in Tulum or the Archimedes Banya in San Francisco, Sun Country Airlines is the first and last place I go for decent air travel.